Welcome to Love Unpacked, a podcast based on the book Love Unpacked. I'm your host, Andy Franklin. Join me on a journey to unpack our stories, confront our past, and find our way to unconditional love. Hello, welcome back. I hope you had a relaxing, wonderful weekend. I did. It was great. I am the proud new owner of a little baby head cold, but it was worth it. I'm feeling good for the most part, a little congested, but nothing crazy. So last week, wow, wow, last week, we went through some things together, did we not? Um, I know the chapters were a little awkward and heavy, and I'm happy to report that today's episode is much easier to digest and it's a kind of a break from all the whoa of last week. That said, um, I did just remember that this episode does have a trigger warning SA. Um, it is briefly touched upon. It is not the entirety of the chapter, but important to mention nonetheless. Once again, if that is triggering for you, don't listen. Okay. Take care of yourself. Okay, I feel like just getting into it today. So enough jibber-jabber from me. Let's jump into chapter five, which is all about control. Chapter five, control. So maybe you're not a Craigslist killer after all. A journey is like marriage. The certain way to be wrong is to think you can control it. John Steinbeck travels with Charlie in search of America. On a breezy spring evening, as the sun slipped behind the hills, with orange and pink hues following closely behind like a wake trailing a harbor cruise, a lemon soared through the sky like an eagle before attacking my right eye as if it were dinner. I was standing outside of my friend Brett's house with a curly-haired musician named Noah. He was a year older than I, and we were unofficially officially dating. He and I were playing Sandy and Danny in Greece for a theater competition and decided to take our stage romance on the road, the way so many actors do when they spend several hours a day pretending to be in love. Noah and I became adventure buddies of sorts, taking midnight hikes to look at the stars, and driving around our small town blasting indie music from Ozma and Jenny Lewis. That night, we found ourselves outside of Brett's place to say hi, and for some reason, in an attempt to be funny, he proceeded to check lemons at us until one assaulted my eye. The lemon broke on contact and squeezed juicy, sour magma into my eyeball socket. It burned worse than when the technician at the nail salon accidentally files your nail too close to the cuticle. The boys suppressed their laughter as well as they could, but that just made their faces resemble how one looks after too many plates at Thanksgiving. Air passed through their stuffed expressions, creating a whisper of giggles, and Brett ran inside to grab some water so we could try to wash out the fiery hell juice from my eye. They both helped me flush out my eye as well as they could, and Noah and I got back into the car as Brett left in shame for what he had accidentally done to my poor little peeper. Noah brushed the hair from my forehead and ran his fingertip down the side of my face. How's your eye feeling? I think I'll live, I chuckled. 
He lifted my chin and planted his lips to mine as we began to make lemonade out of lemons, kissing passionately under the fading sun. Things began to heat up, and before I knew it, Noah was moving my hand to his crotch. He, of course, was hoping to work up to what all senior high school boys wanted in the waking moonlight. Some mouth-to-dick resuscitation. However, I was a young woman of moral and principle. At 16, I'd only touched one penis, and I most certainly had never brought any near my mouth before, nor did I intend to start that evening. They pee out of those things, and heaven knows teenage boys aren't using baby wipes to keep their dicks fresh. I politely declined the offer to his temple of doom, and shortly after, our romance had its final curtain call. A few months later, Kyle told me he was thinking of killing himself, and we all know what happened next. He was the first person I finally experimented with, but it was out of necessity rather than desire. Since Kyle had a nasty habit of forcing himself on me, I'd learned from him that men won't continue to coerce you into sexual situations if they have an orgasm. So I began giving him blowjobs to keep his mouth away from my vagina. I rationalized this as a necessary action to keep my body from being defiled and to save myself the exhaustion of faking orgasms just to keep him off me. After Kyle, I had the good fortune of meeting a nice Christian boy named Dean at my friend's church. I confided in him about being raped, and he confided in me about not really being sure that he believed in God. We talked for hours and quickly became boyfriend-girlfriend. I loved that Dean was from another town. I felt like I could be whoever I wanted with him. It was like a fresh start. He didn't go to my high school, which meant he hadn't seen me break down in second period or heard the rumors around school about me. He saw the version of me I always thought I was. Pure, innocent, and beautiful. Or at least I thought he did at the time. I quickly learned that one of Dean's favorite things about me was how experienced I was. Never mind the fact that my aptitude was a result of rape and sexual trauma. Dean had never had a serious girlfriend before, and I was just the lady to show him the ropes. He wanted to please me too, because he was a gentleman, of course, but I didn't want him anywhere near my downstairs. So I applied my keep-away method. I gave him blowjobs as often as I could to keep the demons at bay, and it worked for a long time, until it didn't. One night, over a year into our relationship, Dean was ready for more. His pickup truck had a camper shell, and our new favorite pastime was parking in quiet neighborhoods with tall shrubbery and dimly lit street signs. There, we'd spoon in the carpet-lined truck bed to have deep conversations and steamy makeout sessions. That night, however, Dean had something else planned. I love you, Andy, and I just want to be closer to you. Anal isn't really a sin because it doesn't break your virginity, and we're going to be married to each other one day so I think it's okay if we take things to the next level. Then he tried to enter me, without any lubrication, as I lay with my back to his chest in the cab of his beat-up pickup truck. My body pulsed with each gulp of air between tears, and the moment he realized I was silently sobbing, he stopped. Dean panicked and pleaded, assuring me that he honestly had no idea I didn't want it too. And I wondered how that was possible after the countless hours we spent in the last year sitting on playgrounds in the dark, 
talking about my trauma, my rape, my sodomy. But I didn't say that. Instead, I accepted his apology and let the relationship pan out for another six months or so before finally calling it quits. Then, I was off to find another man to love me. That evening with Dean opened my eyes to the fact that it didn't matter how long I was with someone or how much I trusted them. Men were men, and eventually, they were all going to try to stick their dicks in me. Consequently, I began to look at blowjobs like a full-time job to keep dudes away from my body. I clocked in and out of this career path like my life depended on it because it felt like it did. They became my way of keeping an arm's length between me and any young man who may try and hurt me, physically or mentally. I harnessed their power, their ability to cripple a man and make him forget all about the things he wants to do to you. I used them to my advantage throughout every relationship until Derek came along and unlocked my muzzled desire. Derek was the first man in my entire life that I didn't want to lie to from the beginning. Whenever I couldn't escape a man's touch in the past, I'd give a gripping but quick performance to get them off me. Yet with Derek, I had a robust, primal desire to feel pleasure from him. Pheromones are real friends. I didn't want to escape his touch. I actually tried to lean further into it. Exploring one another's bodies became a human connection that I was eager to experience time and time again. Blowjobs suddenly had an entirely new meaning and purpose in my life. They were no longer a tool of protection, but rather a gift of appreciation for this man I love, and I enjoyed giving them freely. I began to use them to express my desire, love, and admiration for Derek, and I sheepishly offered my body for him to please as well. Sexuality as I'd come to know it was more of a skill of manipulation than an extension of desire and love. I never opened myself up to the possibility of orgasms being a regular occurrence because doing so would be releasing control, and my life had taught me it wasn't safe to be out of control. Derek challenged everything I thought I knew. He dissolved walls that were coated thick with barbed wire and electricity. I was powerless against his affection, and it was absolutely terrifying for a while. We were two young adults, navigating life between the sheets and in the world together. He took the time to study my body. He paid attention to my movements, sounds, and whether or not my toes were curled. Likewise, I became in tune with his pulse, his warmth, and his motions. I found myself fascinated by his body and the way it moved, both in and out of the bedroom. I studied Derek like he was the most important exam of my life. I suppose in a way he sort of was. Determined to see what made him tick, not for my own game but for his, I realized that this had been my first relationship where I wasn't trying to have the upper hand. I didn't want to be the boss. I wanted to be a partner. I wanted to stand by his side. Only, I was struggling to renounce my power and ability to manipulate a situation with the touch of my hand. And old habits die hard. Without weaponized blowjobs and fake orgasms in my back pocket, I was vulnerable, and I learned from my past that vulnerability in a relationship was dangerous. 
Since I wouldn't reboot these powers of mine, I searched for others to fill the cracks and help me stay on top so Derek couldn't hurt me like everyone else. Unfortunately, what I landed on was a cocktail of jealousy, judgment, and control. I swore myself in as governess of House Derek and began enforcing laws that could be modified or changed at my discretion. It wasn't conscious, but my need to compensate for the control I'd lost in the bedroom was palpable, and I could feel the concoction rotting away my insides and sucking the life from the man I loved. I became one of those girls. I'd assume he was up to no good without any reasonable cause. I questioned everything and trusted no one, ripe in insecurity and thick in conspiracy theories. One afternoon, I stayed home watching the Craigslist killer on Lifetime while Derek was golfing with a friend. And when he got back, I was examining his sunburn lines and genuinely interrogating him. Because what if he's a Craigslist killer and he was actually out with some girl who he had sex with and then murdered instead of on the grassy course at hole nine working on his putt? I lived for passive-aggressive comments about how he spent his free time and expected him to spend every waking moment with me. I'd feel anger swell up in my chest if he hopped out of bed in the morning to go outside and play with the dogs or work in the yard. I kept mental tabs of how long he played his video games and who he was playing with, instead of sitting with me. I even chastised him for taking naps on the weekends, guilt-tripping him into staying awake by saying things like, well, what am I supposed to do while you nap? The more intimate our sex life got, the more insane my thirst for authority became. But it wasn't until years later that I was able to connect those dots. It was as if someone had tattooed the word shame on my body in invisible ink. And every time I had an orgasm, a black light would shine over the skin and show my mark. So in an attempt to cover it back up, I'd be grasping for straws, trying to latch on to the first thing I could control. And, well, Derek was always the closest straw to me. It was a game of deflection between the devil on my shoulder and me. It was puppeteering my every move with whispers about how my sexual appetite was disgraceful. In the sheets, I could let go just enough to experience pleasure. But in the world, I was making up for that loss of control by projecting my shame onto Derek. But you can't heal a wound by pretending it doesn't exist and bandaging a different part of your body. Ugly bits of our hearts don't just go away. We have to face them and deal with them first. And I hadn't, so mine just drifted to a different location. I needed a slap in the face, a dunk in cold water, a lemon to the eye to wake me up and force me to see I'd merely traded one area of control for another, and it was hindering me from experiencing true partnership. Unpacking Control When we've been hurt before, it can feel impossible to trust someone again. It's an embarrassment of sorts for prideful folks like myself because it forces you to admit that your judgment isn't as good as you thought it was. It requires you to face that you're just a human being who makes mistakes like everyone else. So many of us make excuses like, I'm a great judge of character, but if we look into our past, we can see where that opinion about ourselves we were trying to pass off as a fact is actually flawed. 
I struggled to accept the fact that I loved being out of control in the bedroom. There was a belief looming over my head that if I admitted how good it felt to let someone else take the wheel and steer me into ecstasy, then I'd make myself susceptible to an even deeper level of pain once he got tired of me and left. Also, it felt embarrassing to confess that something I grew up looking at as wrong was not only something I enjoyed, but craved. It was like finding out you'd been singing the wrong lyrics to your favorite song for the first time on stage, in front of the crowd, during karaoke night. If you haven't caught on by now, I didn't write this book to glorify myself and show the world how awesome I am. I wrote it to demonstrate the messy truths of human complexity and how we can deal with our darkest demons if we're willing to call them by their names and face them. My need for control was a leech on my love life, bleeding it dry with each crack of the whip. I fell in love with Derek exactly as he was. Yet I was trying to micromanage him outside of the bedroom to deflect from my own deeply rooted need to come out on top or have an edge up on someone at all times. It wasn't until I began unpacking the big truth, you never initiate sex, that I started to understand how significant control was to the issue. Having someone come to you with their desires is empowering because it makes you feel wanted, but going to them with yours is risky. What if I try to climb on top of him and he wasn't in the mood? What if he pulled away when I kissed him or I couldn't get him hard or he thought my attempts to be sexy were laughable? Being out of control in the bedroom was easy because I was simply allowing Derek to fulfill his desires and anticipate and fulfill mine. But the fact that I never took charge was bleeding out into our day-to-day life and making me a judgmental and bossy partner. Could stepping it up in the bedroom and embracing my sexuality really be the ointment my open wound needed this entire time? I began noticing that on the nights where I took the initiative, even if it were only in a small way, I would wake up the next morning with a pep in my step, far less concerned with Derek's schedule and more self-praising of my efforts the night before. I felt strong, sexy, and empowered when I acted on my desires first, rather than waiting for Derek, and that feeling always trickled into the following day, making me a much more at ease and pleasant partner. But as soon as the high wore off, I'd find myself right back at square one, feeling like my desires made me out of control and desperate to dominate something or someone in its place. Can you relate? Have you ever found yourself talking to your spouse like they were your child and sat back to wonder why? Maybe your reason isn't sex-related like mine, but chances are if you're working overtime to control the people you love, it is because you're trying to compensate for another area of your life where you feel out of control. It seems so obvious to say, and yet it's probably one of the most commonly forgotten concepts. But when we take control of our own thoughts, feelings, dreams, and desires, we don't try to control other people's. It opens us up to experience greater connection because instead of trying to make everything go our way, we live in tandem with our partners. And as a result, we get to explore the world through their eyes too. Right now in your relationship, you may be harboring less than loving feelings for your spouse. And I'm not in it with you, so you may have legitimate reasons to feel that way. However, I'd like to encourage you to take some time to think about this person you chose to do life with. 
Have they changed since you fell in love or have your expectations of your partner altered? And if you find you're the one who has changed your vision for how you want your lover to be, then my question to you is why? Is there an area in your life right now that you're feeling lost, embarrassed, or ashamed of what you're trying to save face for by getting all bossy pants on their ass? How would you feel if your partner placed the same sort of stipulations and laws on you every time you wanted to go catch up with a girlfriend, read a book, or get your hair done? I've learned from my own bullshit. If a partner is genuinely what you're looking for, then you need to stop trying to control everything all the time. The things I love are not all the same soul fillers my husband loves. He and I don't see eye to eye on every issue, nor do we express ourselves in precisely the same way. We're different personalities with different love languages and different day-to-day routines. And that's not only okay, but it's also fantastic. If I wanted to marry someone just like me, I would have hired a mad scientist to make a clone. Derek is highly intelligent without sharing all the same thoughts as me, and he's magnificently skilled in areas that I know nothing about. My value doesn't diminish by letting myself lose control in an intimate setting with the man I love, and neither does his if I'm the one taking the reins that evening. Control isn't a superpower. It's the kryptonite of marriage. There needs to be a natural flow of things between two consensual partners. Two who are in it to give and receive pleasure and connection, both in and out of the bedroom. That's where harmony exists and where love is free to grow as she pleases. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Unpacked podcast. I'm your host, Andy Franklin. And you can find me on Instagram at Andy M. Franklin and at love underscore unpacked. And if you're interested in purchasing the book, it is sold on Amazon, IndieBound, and Barnes & Noble.